Welcome to the PT Support Podcast, the show dedicated to helping personal trainers build a thriving business. We talk marketing, mindset, business growth, and so much more with the world's leading experts and, of course, your hostess, Ruth Quinn. Hey guys, I hope you are all having a fantastic day. So I'm really excited to be here today with the awesome Pete Tansley, who is a fellow PT coach and doing some amazing things with his clients. Um, so I, I would love to actually straight away hand over to you, Pete, just to let the guys know a little bit about your background um, and what your journey was to get to this point in the fitness industry, if that's cool with you. Of course, yeah. Thanks for having me on and for the intro. Yeah, guys, my name is Pete. I've been in the industry for, uh, I think it's almost 15 years now. I left school at 17, I wanted to do, but issue in that I was a little bit chubby and overweight and it was affecting my confidence. So, like most guys that age, I thought, uh, well, going to the gym will help. So I started going to the gym and quickly realized that there's actually people and you can make a career doing this. So I, uh, I started the path of, down back then, was a Cert 3 and certificate for a fitness. Yeah. And I got my first job in the gym, which was cleaning toilets, wiping mirrors, not exactly glamorous. But it taught me a lot about um, service and names and customer service and sales and dealing with complaints that I'm really thankful for. So I was there for a number of years. I think for almost five years, my first prop, and I thought, you know what, I can do this better than my boss. Like, no. I think my boss is off sipping cocktails and has a nice car, and it must be easy. I thought, screw it, I'm going to open my own gym. So I was 20, um, 2007, 2006, and I pre-opened my own gym, and it was a massive wake-up call because for me, I thought I'm a good trainer, I'm, I'm good at keeping my 20, 25 clients happy, surely I can grow a team and manage balance books and manage, you know, all these behind-the-scenes stuff. And uh, it took a while to get going. But, um, yeah, I guess the short story is it, it, it went well for a number of years. Uh, I ended up moving on from that. And what helped me when I first opened was having a business coach. I didn't even know they were a thing back then. And he helped me learn about systems and growing a team and how did I think how that shift my identity was a lot of it as well. And the reason I became a coach full time, you know, three, three, four years ago was because I had a fantastic or a number of coaches and mentors in my twenties and I and now sort of want to pass that on. Yeah. So that's the 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 two minute pitch, two minute story. Yeah. Nice. And that it's it's so funny to me. I mean I know we don't know each other that well, but this is what I was saying to you off air as well. I feel like Everything we post is very similar, and now it's even more clear to me. I left school at sixteen as well. Knew, I followed a different path than everyone else that I went to school with. Um, also had a business coach from I think I was twenty one when I got my first business coach, and continued to have some awesome coaches. Exactly the same for me. Now I want to pass that on to other PTs. It's pretty cool. We're kind of fairly aligned in that way. Um, so then I'd love to just tap into that because I think we've got a bit of a delay there. Sorry, I don't mean to, to be interrupting you if we've got a delay. Um, 
So I'd love to jump into that because one of my big passions in what I'm trying to do with my Facebook community and generally in helping PTs is to really help them make that, what you to use your term, that identity shift from, oh, I'm a personal trainer to actually I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, and I need therefore need to build these skill sets to go from where I am now to where I want to be. So what do you see the biggest mm. kind of um, missing pieces are for personal trainers that are holding them back from getting where they want to be? What do you think they, they avoid or they, they need to build on? Totally. And probably like one of my favorite topics to, to, to talk about and, and, and chat about is that of, of upgrading your identity. And if, we're, if we see ourselves so I'm just a personal trainer, and I think that's the most like limiting phrase in the universe because as a trainer, like you're at the forefront of disease prevention, you can literally change your entire families and grandkids and like the, 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 the direction of that family are on in terms of their health. But yeah, I think we have to see ourselves like collectively as business owners yeah. and taking from a great uh, technician to a great business owner is what will help them to impact more people. So to sort of zoom in on that, I think there's there's two things. There's like there's belief that they can be a great business owner. They don't need an MBA in business. They don't need to, uh, you know, be in business for 10 years to then announce themselves as a business person. And I think a lot of that comes back to worth, feeling worthy of, of, of not that it's a title, but of, of, of owning that role of being a business owner or being the CEO or even if it's just you and treating it like that. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and I want to pick yeah. out that word you just used then, worth as well. So I don't know if you caught this, but I um, actually had the pleasure of interviewing Thomas Plummer yesterday. Um, and we spoke about work and and a lot around money. And actually, just this morning, had a call with two of my amazing clients, and we spent a lot of time talking about work and about money, and dealing with not being able to ask for a certain amount of money, or not being able to charge what you feel you're worth, uh, because you you yourself, it, the financial situation that you yourself are in. You just can't comprehend how someone would drop $250 a week or $150 a week on your services. How do you help people get over that block of not being able to charge what they're worth or not feeling worth that or not being able to ask for that amount of money? Yeah, great question and a great topic. So I think a lot of fitness pros in general fall under this. I think there's two things, and I agree with what Thomas says around earning good money and being comfortable asking for it, and there's nothing, uh, there's no martyrdom in being broke, and I've heard him say that before, and I agree with him. I think I think number one is a task I get to do, I get uh, my clients to do rather, if they're struggling with it, write down 100 benefits a client would have working with you for six months. And what this task will help you do is like anchor in, like the first 10 are easy. Look better, feel better, lose weight, whatever. But then you go like number 50, number 70, in the 90s, they're going about legacy, about their own self-worth. Maybe they can get start their business and get confidence. So when someone writes down those 100 reasons 
or benefits somebody somebody gets from working with you, it's like, whoa, if someone needs me, it's irresponsible of me not to sell them ethically and say, hey, you need this and I'm going to charge you good money because I'm going to change your life. Yeah. So I think like a lot with what we offer and changing, oh, it's not just a 30-minute workout or a 60-minute workout. It's like a life-changing experience. So that's number one. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's <laughs> it's yeah. almost that. Yep, sorry. Go for it. We'll try to work with it. And number two is environment. Environment. This happened to me when I was first out of school, but we sort of were middle class growing up and, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and all these beliefs around money were sort of uh, passed on to me subconsciously. And a mentor, in fact, one of my first one-on-one clients uh, used to pick me up in his nice cars, had multiple take me to nice restaurants, we became very close. And at first I was very uncomfortable. I would like sit in his car not wanting to touch it in his new Mercedes (laughs) or like go to these restaurants, like not want to dirty the napkin. But because of this five-star environment. So I think the more we can do that, and if you're just starting out or if you don't have the money to stay at a hotel or something like that, you can go work from one occasionally one day and you can appreciate those things. And when you see something you like, a thing, a car, a house, is not to say, oh, like, oh, it must be nice, but then say, wow, that's awesome. Congratulations to that person. Or one day I'll have that. And just to, to up-level your environment, so I think is a really powerful exercise. Absolutely. And I, that's definitely something I used to do. So I don't know if you are familiar with you are with Melbourne, but I used to work in South Yarra, which is a very, very... Um, upper class area and I used to go and take my laptop and I would go and find the swankiest restaurant I could and I would go and work there so I'm surrounded by that environment and it did absolutely start to just become my normal and I felt like I fitted in Um, also something that Thomas speaks about a lot in his most recent book which I'm not sure if you've read Soul of the Trainer he talks a lot about dressing the part which I think so many trainers fall into the trap of oh I'm a trainer I can dress super cash um and I found in my business and all the trainers that I hired I was very strict on note we wear a polo shirt uniform that's branded we wear tailored tailored training pants and we dress the part so if you're rocking up in a baggy hoodie and a baseball cap you're not positioning yourself as that Uh, the best trainer as Thomas says you must be the best think of yourself as the best trainer Um, do you see that a lot in people not really positioning themselves in a way that makes them feel confident to charge what they're worth totally I think it's all linked I think back into fitness professional and that means like not doing a consult in your ASN singlet and your hat backwards and chalk all over your hands and you know like he's treating this like you know atlas present or how would a, a professor present or how would a doctor present to a, a first-time client and not just first time but ongoing but I think that pressure is is really important and the misconception is people already when they first arrive at a studio or a gym they already 
misconception about like steroids and tattoos and loud music and it's very intimidating so if we're not doing stuff to like bring that it's it's at your disservice it's not going to help you and yeah you know i was weird back when i was 18 i always wore a polo and you know just i think those old-fashioned principles are like dress well if you're not uh early you're late you know like look people in the eye have a handshake like those basic common sense type things is what a lot of people are missing absolutely and again that's something we align on the amount of times not just at work but just generally going to meet my friends or going to a family occasion so many people would say to me oh why are you so dressed up and i was like I don't think I'm dressed up. I just think I'm putting my best foot forward at all times. And I think it has to, tra- for me anyway, it has to translate to everywhere you show up. It's not just when you're with clients. Um, if you're going to put on, if you're going to position yourself as the best, you have to show up no matter where you're going. You have to show up like that, in my opinion. And then it also yes. comes down to how it makes you feel. If you dress well and you dress the part, you feel the part as well and you're going to feel more confident to make those sales presentations and to be able to make that price presentation confidently and know that you're worth it if you are if you feel the part because of how you're dressed, which I think is kind of underestimated a lot. Um, yeah, totally. that's very um, Okay, so I know that you help trainers who are already kind of doing pretty well to scale to the next level. And this is something that I see so much in not just personal trainers, maybe entrepreneurs in general, but more so probably in personal trainers. They've got such a low glass ceiling on themselves. They don't seem to have the ability to think big enough, whether it's because of what they're sort of being conditioned to think personal trainers can make or their own self-belief. Um, I'm sure that that's something you see too. Why do you think that is and how do you think we can help trainers to to dream bigger or to think bigger? Yeah, it's funny. I, I just shot a video on that topic, Ruth, because the chat to trainers, like one of the, the questions we ask is, where would you like to be in sort of three years from now? And some people, the language they use is like, oh, I just want to be out of debt. Or I just, I, I really want to be comfortable earning two grand a week. And I'm just thinking like this, as an industry, we need, we do need to think bigger and, 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 you know, two grand a week might sound like a lot, but if you have, as you know, kids or someone in your family is unwell, or you really want to give back and, and make a difference, then unfortunately it doesn't go very far. So I think it would take time, but I think, yeah, as an industry, we do need to think much larger and that. You know, good experts in this field, minimum is, you know, 10 grand a month, but that's the minimum, not the not the two-year end goal. Yeah. Uh, uh, you take from there, online, gym, entrepreneur, yourself, you can still scale that much higher. But if we truly want to help, here's something that might be controversial. If you're not investing back into your business and not learning how to impact more people and grow and get you're doing your audience a disservice and you're being selfish because we have a gift like to change lives and families and and people's health so if we're not trying to aim for more selfish to only want to work with 20 people or whatever the number is yeah no i agree 
I absolutely agree. And actually, <laughs> I want to touch on, I think you posted this today or maybe yesterday, and we touched on this in the interview with Thomas, and I speak about this all the time, and I see trainers saying it all the time online. It drives me insane. Oh, I'm not in it for the money. I'm just in it because I really want to help people. And then they really have a go at people who, who they perceive to be in it for the money because maybe they're really successful or because maybe they talk about the car they drive. And that, to me, simply says two things. One, you're broke. Two, you've got a whole load of beliefs around money that money means you're greedy or money means you're materialistic. Um, so let's discuss that. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I mean, I know you did a post on it, but what are your thoughts on on that when people say, oh, I'm not in it for the money? I love this part this topic. Yeah. If people say that, I say, oh, so you'll work for free then? Like you don't want to get paid? And I, oh, no, well, I, I still need the money. <clears throat> it's just, it's funny, isn't it? Like I think when you're in that, and I was in that at probably 17, 18, 19 and younger, my parents did okay, but like I remember my mum in particular would drive past, went to a nice school, and she drove like a beat up Ford Falcon station wagon with rust and squeaky brakes. And she used to like, as we were pulling out of the car park, if there was an Audi or BMW, she'd be like, oh, I'm not letting those people in. And she'd like, so I had this belief that like if you made money, you must have ripped people off, sold drugs, stolen it from somebody, been incredibly lucky. And it's funny. You know, circling back to that post today that I wrote, I had um, maybe 30 minutes before this live, I posted or maybe an hour, I had four people message me abusively abusing me about the topic. <laughs> and I know for a fact, because I mean, I'm all right, I've had sales calls with those four people, they're all broke. Yeah. I'm not judging them, but it's just a, it's a funny observation that that triggers people who are not where they want to be. Yeah. And I had um, some people that commented on the post, like great posts or some put love hearts. I know they're in business and doing well and out to out to do good. Honey, now that I'm I'm still very early in my business journey, but now that I'm in it for longer, I don't know one person who's doing well and wants is evil or wants to rip them more generous. They give people more things. Yeah. Um, a book that helped change my beliefs around income and worth and money was uh, T. Harv Ecker's book. You've probably read or, or, or seen his stuff. I think if yeah. this is something you want to go deeper on, check out his book. Go to his uh, two-day or one-day seminar when he comes here. I think he's, 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 a, he's a bit old school, but I think that stuff is so valid for us. Absolutely. And I so resonate with what you're saying. I had the exact same thing with my my mum in particular around money um, and sort of looking at people in big houses and, and fancy cars and saying they were greedy or materialistic or, you know, labelling them sort of as bad and us as morally superior. Not we, we were, again, very middle class, comfortable, but not rich. And, but we gave charity and we did, you know, so we were somehow morally superior. Um, whereas now I've done a lot of work on my money stuff myself um, which I think I would recommend everyone do if they have, if they can identify that they have that mindset, it will hold you back um, unless you kind of address those beliefs. And it can be difficult when it's been air conditioning from a very young age, but it is something that you need to be able to break through. And actually, a couple of people, I don't know if they're still here, I should say hi to them, but Mel Tempest and Tim, 
um, both who are extremely successful and both have been very generous with their time and giving and, and working with me. Um, so if you're still here, hi and thank you. And they're perfect examples of that, that, you know, the more you have and the more successful you become, the more you can give back to others. And Thomas spoke about an example of that on our interview. I'm not, I can't remember exactly who it was now. What was having a brain freeze? What's um, Apple guy's name? Was it Apple guy? No. Anyway. Jobs? Possibly, yes. Before 8 a.m., I think the figure was That's the game away. Uh, yeah. Before 8 a.m. in the morning, he'd given away, I think it was either, I think it was about 2 million or maybe it was more than that. If I'm getting this wrong, I'm so sorry. And anyway, gave away an enormous amount of money in in computers to disadvantaged schools uh, because he can. Before 8 a.m., before he's even had his morning coffee, he's, like, changed thousands and thousands of children's lives because he can. He's got so much cash, he doesn't even know what to do with it. Um, and to me, that was a, a big flip that happened, realising that I can have so much more impact in the world the more money I make. And now I see making more money equals I've changed more lives. And so I think that's, that is a flip that needs to happen for so many personal trainers. And because they do tend to be altruistic people and carers, right, as a personality type that become personal trainers. Um, but I've also heard Dr. John Martini talk a lot about the balance between altruism and narcissism. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, lesson that he, he speaks a lot about money in order to have yeah. that yeah have, have you heard that yes i have yeah great teacher on this stuff yeah absolutely i would recommend you guys go and look that up um so for someone someone who has say they've passed that stuff they're doing okay um but maybe they're in that awkward spot where they I've got full books and they're starting to hit that burnout. What would you say next steps should be for them in order to avoid hitting burnout and just dropping out of the industry? Um, where should they be looking at refining things? Yeah, great, great question. And uh, let's just imagine someone's you know, doing okay, that they're, they're close to six figures or whatever the level is, but they're, they're, they're beyond that startup phase, right? So I think I see work and life and play as one thing. So too often we try to, I was on a call yesterday with somebody and she said, oh, I want to delegate all of my sales. And I was like, well, there's, there's some other things we can delegate first. And uh, she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, do you still do the groceries yourself? Do you still clean your house and clean your car and clean your gym yourself? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, do you still iron all your clothes for you and your kids and your husband? She said, yeah. And I said, well, there are ways we can de – an hour is an hour, right? Whether we decrease an hour in our personal life or decrease an hour in our business, we can look at ways to offload certain things. And I would suggest that if somebody's at, you know, 1500 two grand a week and beyond, then to go to the next level, it's not about doing more, it's about doing – so if you put a value on your time and you can do some cool exercises where you look at what are my total hours worked through the week, 40, 50, 60 plus for some people, 
what's the income earned? And it might be a sobering realization that you're earning $16.40 per hour or something. So you can look at, well, what else can I offload? If I can't offload the delivery yet, although I question that, but if you're thinking I can't offload the delivery of sessions or the lead gen or, or the selling consultations, then where are other areas you can offload? So that would be sort of step one as like a big picture view. Perhaps it's cooking, cleaning, doing some stuff at home. It's like a $15 per hour job. Then I'll look at um, can I bring on another trainer? If I'm doing lots of in-person sessions, can I bring on an intern, uh, an assistant, somebody to eventually step into that role so that I can whatever is important morning to week, not do double shifts, uh, not do split shifts, go to your son's soccer training every Wednesday afternoon, whatever it is you'd like to do, or just simply have a hobby outside of split shifts in the gym. I have a rule with the, the guys that I work with who, uh, who don't have staff that they can only do two split shifts a week. Nice. But I'll but I'll prefer one. Yeah. So I think there's this idea that I'll be available all morning, I'll be available all afternoon, I'll do it five days a week. And it's any wonder we're like out and not in shape ourselves and not sleeping well because we're available at all those times. So yeah. step one would be look what else can I offload? Step two, can I bring somebody on to help? back end or front of house and step three let's leak and then let's look at your current week and where there's in towards the the plan b absolutely i think something that happened for me when i hit that stage in my business where my books were full and i was bringing on another trainer and um things were going really well and i see this happen quite often is that i got complacent with my marketing I was like, oh, I'm, I've hit my goals. I'm making what I want to make. Um, and I got lazy and complacent. <laughs> what would you suggest people need to be doing? I mean, I, I mean, I know the answer to this for myself now, but what do you say to your people in terms of their ongoing marketing and having that, that long-term plan so that they've got that security of five people drop off in one week or something like that happens? What What's your sort of strategy? And what do you suggest to your clients for that? Yeah, great question. The, the, the great skill to go from great technician to great business owner is the ability to get clients on demand. Yeah. And that generally means, that always means setting up a system that brings in, if we spend a dollar, we know we're going to receive $2 back. Mm. So we want to have a measurable, predictable, down-to-the-dollar way of we know if we spend this amount in August or this month, then I, I, the, the machine will spit out this much on the other end based on our conversion, our systems, and our retention strategies. So I think a re a rejig that as the CEO, as the owner, that marketing is your main priorities. Mm -hmm. And a bit of a warning, I see a lot of people hiring agencies or looking to hire agencies to like lead gen for them that can work some do some due diligence and i always think well what happens when you stop paying them yeah will the leads dry up have you learned how to fish yourself or is somebody else doing the fishing for you mm -hmm. so agents the agency model can work I to hire but i'm like what do i need to learn 
what's the end goal here a few years down? And if I can master that myself and then hire someone or then delegate it, I think that's better than just avoiding risk and blowing it over. Absolutely. I would recommend personally master it yourself and then when you've scaled to that point where you can afford to bring someone on in-house to run your social media instead of outsourcing, that way it's much easier to infuse you and your culture into someone because they're in-house rather than being an external agency. Couldn't agree more. It's, yeah. And it's just something that... Sorry, there's that delay again. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just going to take a stab and keep talking here. Uh, I was going to say, uh, what I like about that model is when you're doing it yourself, either organic and paid, you can validate what works. Yeah. You know what certain messages might be polarizing, what certain uh, topics or angles get responses. And often it's behind the scenes. As you know, you'll put something up and someone will private message you. But you can see when you're doing it yourself, you can see what exactly my, my niche uh, need, what speaks to them, what, what hot buttons am I using when I, when I talk on this topic. And it's, it's the ultimate test of what's working and what's landing with your, with your target market. Absolutely. Which then leads me very nicely to let's talk about niche. <laughs> because yeah. almost every trainer I get on a call with, when I ask them what their niche is, they either kind of say, oh, I just train anyone, or, oh, I'm a kettlebell specialist, which, by the way, is not a niche. <laughs> That's not a niche. <laughs> You're misunderstanding what niche is then. So obviously, it's super, super important when you're looking at your social media one of the biggest reasons your social media maybe is a complete flop is because you don't know who you're talking to. You have no idea what your client's pain points are. You don't know what to post because you don't know who you're talking to. Um, presumably, you take your clients through this journey, although maybe your clients already know what their niche is. But how would you suggest someone could start to find what their niche is? So I think a lot of PTs struggle to choose their niche. Yeah. By the way, if there are any Americans watching this, I wish we could call it niches. It sounds so cool. <laughs> Niche sounds like an island somewhere. But, but yeah, I, it's a really important topic. I think there's a couple of things to, to look at. Number one is perhaps with a particular person in the past. Yeah. Has it been whatever the goals are? Can, have you had some history of working well with somebody? If not, that's cool. But if you have, that, that will help. And then there are two which help you define this. Number one, who is that person and what's their main area of pain? Not a physical pain, but what's their main area of pain? Yeah. So who do you enjoy working with and what's their main area? And then, then next, can they afford to pay you? Because there's no point trying to work with – I was going to call someone last – call last week with somebody and, she, and I said, look – What's your story with your ideal customer? And she said, well, five years ago, I was a single mom on welfare, had the three kids at home, my husband ran off, so I want to help. I'm like, it's very difficult on a high-end online service to, you know, obviously mom's on welfare, nothing against them, but there's a mismatch there. Yeah. So I think that you have to enjoy working with them. You have to be able to help them. 
I don't believe this fake it till you make it rubbish and, and, and just make stuff up. Like you have to actually have value to give to that person. And it goes without saying they have to be able to, you know, afford and invest and are happy to invest with you. Otherwise, it's going to be much harder. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And massive point there, guys. I hear, again, I hear that so much. People wanting to help people who are broke. They have so much compassion and empathy in them. And they think it's their mission in life to help people, which it is. But you can't help people who can't afford your services because you're not running a charity. So go and help the people who can afford your services. Make a crap ton of money. And then if you're really passionate about helping those people who really can't afford it, then you have the money to be able to go and give back and set up your charity. So you need to think long game. That definitely happened to me when I started out. And that still is one of my goals is to be able to set up a foundation in the, in the long term. Um, but, yeah, you have to go about it the right way. Um, cool. Okay, so when it comes to uh, online training, because I see this massive, massive trend, as do you, um, and so many trainers seem to be wanting to quit the gym and go online which therefore seems to me that actually there's now quite a, a lot more people <laughs> who you can go after face-to-face. -face. What sort of trend are you seeing in terms of tra trainers going online or trainers going face-to-face? -face? And the ones that do want to stay face-to-face, -face, what sort of model are you suggesting they should be running to be profitable? Yeah, great question. I'll start with the online trend of the, 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 the people going online and then how to make that work. Yeah, there are a lot and there are coaches who, who are doing that and, and and there's a massive shift. The problem I'm seeing people make is they're going from one-on-one -on -one and you know an hour of time in the gym for X amount of dollars and they're replacing that one-on-one -on -one model online. Yeah. So they think it's going to be this laptop lifestyle, travel the world, work an hour a day, but they're replacing eight hours in the gym 12 hours in the gym with the same on a computer and they're inside, they're getting no social interaction and they freaking hate it. So the, the model is broken. I think if we all look at our business and said, if I doubled your business overnight, what would be the first thing to break? And most people say, well, I would. Because to be able to deliver is, is the letdown there. So I think if you are going online, niche is even more important. Yeah. Because, you know, the programming is similar. I'm not saying it's identical and cookie cutter, but the programming will be similar. The questions will be similar. And the content production, both uh, front of, you know, for, uh, for prospects and behind the scenes will be leveraged. With the same. So I think you look at a way to offer, uh, a disc if you're online, a discounted group or leverage style program and maybe a high level one-on-one, -on -one. but the mistake is going from, you know, 60 bucks an hour in the gym to 60 bucks an hour online. It's it's not solving the problem of more flexibility and more income. Um, so it can work, but I think that the, the one thing again is that ability to get clients on demand. Like we help clients build a marketing force it to bring leads in predictably. Yeah. And then their delivery model so they don't break. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the second part of that, yeah, the second part of that question was, 
how do face-to-face trainers do well now? Mm. And you're right, there's probably, probably less people chasing that. It's like the blue ocean now is yep. actually face-to-face clients. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, my first option is if you have some coaching skills, because it can be a little bit more tricky, can you do any form of leverage delivery where it's two, three, four, even six or eight on one? Now, before people get their knickers in a knot and say, I'm too precious for this, I, I, I spend too much time giving one-on-one help, then how do MBA teams do it? Mm-hmm. How do oncologists after 12 patients on their ward, right? So we can do it, but it can, if you're doing one-to-many face-to-face, I think two things have to happen, um, or two ways you can structure it is you can do individual programming. So mm-hmm. I remember years ago when I was um, you know, doing some stuff with Pollock when he would recommend this, have four to six clients, and they've all got their own eight-week program they're doing individually. So client A is doing lower body, client B is doing full body, client C is doing cardio, and you're sort of overseeing it all. The upside of that is it's still personal. The downside is it will obviously take you more time to, to program. The other option is group programming, where everybody's doing squats today and pull-ups and tomorrow is cardio, right? The downside of that, I think this isn't for beginners because if I have four people and Sally's got a sore knee and Barry has a sore shoulder, I have to quickly yeah. be able to adapt. But that model is leverage and it's obviously less time and the energy of that group can be high because we're all sort of working together. So that's sort of, I'm answering this question in a roundabout way, but that's the group model and that typically allows you to, to earn $100 to $400 per session um, and clients are happy they can train three times a week instead of one. There are many benefits. Yeah. If you did still want to do one-on-one, it's not, de- it's not dead, but I would be charging accordingly. You know, it's funny, Ruth, like some one-on-one, when I first started, so my first job in a gym was to, at uh, Bond Union on the Gold Coast. Back then, people for an hour one-on-one were charging about 75 bucks. That was in 02. What are we now, 2018? The average still seems to be about 70. Yeah. Like it hasn't changed. Crazy. The group model is is obviously has leverage, but some people are like, I don't want to do group, or I still want to do one-on-one. That's great. You still can, but I think charge accordingly and um, and still, you know, don't do week-to-week. Don't do 10 packs like it's the 80s. Still get them on a long-term results program. Absolutely. And I, I'm very much for those who want to uh, still go face-to-face. And even if you're going to do half face-to-face and then have online, I guess that links back to, again, removing your glass ceiling, thinking bigger. Can you grow this huge online empire and still have a really successful face-to-face facility where maybe you only work 20 hours and you have your trainers run the rest of it? I think so many trainers seem to believe that there is this model that, or this lifestyle that you have to live as a PT. You have to work split shifts every day. When you hit your max, you've hit your max. And then I get really burnt out and then I go screw face to face. I'm going online because there's all these coaches online promising me $100,000 in three months. And, yes, they think there's this laptop laptop lifestyle and it will be so easy. I'll put one Facebook ad up and that will be loaded. 
guys, no. Yes, you can make a lot of money online, but yes, you still have to put in the work. You have to have the systems to back it up. You have to learn how to market yourself. So if you're leaving face-to-face for those types of reasons, might be a good idea to have a chat to someone and figure out exactly where you want to go and exactly what's causing you to feel like that. Um, Because I feel like face-to-face is still so in demand, probably more so. So many PTs are jumping ship to the to the online model, and I think so many people still want and crave that connection more and more and more. Um, I just want to circle back a little bit. Can I just add something to that? Yeah, of course. I think for those watching, like it's your business. Yeah. You can you don't want to do split shifts, or or you want to. You know, some people are worried, like, oh, what about this direct debit fee? Like, what, what do I do? What about cancel? Like, guys, it's your business. Just set the rules. We're not tricking anybody. Like, be very transparent, but it's it's your business. If you want to have they can't text you on the weekend, that's your rules. If you want to have a three-day cancellation policy, great. Do that. Make, make everyone aware of it with, with enough time when they sign up. But it's your business. That's the beauty of it. You're in control of what you charge. What the rules are, what the I think the boundaries are with contact and that sort of thing. Like it is your business, and that's the beauty of what we're. Oh, you just lost your audio. Then I'm not sure. Let me know, guys, if you can still hear us. Um, I'm not sure if your audio has dropped out, Pete. Sorry. Um, absolutely. Now. Was, oh no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. That was the best two minutes. <laughs> I hope um, someone got it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we did. I just missed that la- only, only just a la- tiny bit. Um, absolutely. Okay. I, was, I was having this sort of discussion with clients today and I've been having it with a couple of clients in particular who have been kind of not really wearing the leadership roles or not really setting the boundaries for their clients. And people want that. People expect that. You don't walk into a clothes shop, try and address and say, oh, well, it's okay if I transfer you into your bank account. They'll immediately say no, and it's not okay if you pay me tomorrow either. These are the rules in my business. If you walk into the shop, these are the payment methods. This is the price. There's no negotiating discounts. And if you allow that type of stuff to happen in your business, it sets a precedent you're not in control you're not setting the boundaries, you will start to get more and more clients who take piss, who don't pay on time, who don't respect the rules. So it really is up to you guys to kind of step into that leadership role, wear that hat and be okay with having those uncomfortable conversations, um, you know, when clients kind of push the boundaries a little bit. And also just going back to not selling hourly and not selling 10 packs, this was something that we covered as well with Thomas and ultimately clients, <laughs> I sort of use this analogy with one of my clients, it's sort of, because I've got a toddler right now, it sort of seems to me like toddlers in that they really like structure. They thrive on structure. If you tell them, okay, here's 12 weeks and this is what we're going to do and it's very structured and clear, it makes the clients feel comfortable, makes them feel confident that you know what you're doing and that you can deliver them a result. If you're selling them a couple of hours or you're selling them a 10-pack, 
you're selling a very short-term thing and subconsciously essentially saying, well, let's start with this and see if it works, see how you go. And that immediately makes me feel like, well, can you get me the result that I want? And it also allows you enough time in that 12 or 10 week block or, or program to get them a result and to have to kind of indoctrinate them into your business and into the culture and to feel part of something. So I see so many people bad mouthing and bagging challenges online. Where do you stand on 10 week challenges, eight week challenges, 12 week challenges? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they are copying a little bit of, I guess, resistance at the moment. I still think they can be effective as well as you run them, right? As well as you obviously market it to fill them and, and obviously deliver the end product. Uh, I still think maybe some people could shorten them to a, a more of a low barrier thing, but I still think the 12-week, I wouldn't be abandoning ship on those totally yet. No, and I think so much of it does come down to your niche, knowing what's right for your niche, knowing what they will buy into, and then also being unafraid to completely tailor that that package to your niche. So one of my clients at the moment is um, working with mums and mums who don't have very much time. So something that we're including, we're really looking at mums that have very low confidence, low self-esteem, something we're including in her challenge is um, quick makeup tutorials and quick hair tutorials. So they've now got a way to quickly do their hair and makeup in the morning before they leave the house as part of the package because we understand that this challenge for them is more than just losing a few kilos and getting into an old dress. It's really about completely transforming their confidence and self-worth. So what are the things that are included in that is maybe they've just stopped doing their hair nicely. Maybe they've just given up on getting makeup on because they just don't have time. So I think if you can completely, wow. yeah, if you can completely tailor those packages to your niche, I know one trainer I've seen online, I don't know him personally, but I've seen his stuff and like genius. He does a transformation challenge for guys. Um, and he sells it as a complete, I think it's like new man or something he's labelled it as. And he, he takes them shopping for an entire new wardrobe at the end of the challenge and he styles them. So they get this whole new wardrobe to fit their new body. It's a high-end package, obviously, but he's, he's a stylist as well and he takes them. Yeah. So it's just like stop thinking cookie cutter, stop looking at what other trainers are doing and just copying exactly. Create a product that is perfectly tailored to your niche and then it will immediately stand out. Um, I think there's some really cool stuff to be done there and there's a big gap in the market for that type of thing, I believe. Do Love you... That. Yeah, like a style... That's right, I'll go. I, yeah, firstly, stop looking at the... Put the blinders on stop looking at what other trainers in your area are doing. And I think as well, it's just things. And twerk. And that's cool you run with that. But most of the things I try on behind the doors of my clients' arms 
but I'm trying new things every month and I'll find one or two things which become like a new addition, right? Yeah. I'll give a really practical example. Um, sales, I've learned that, yeah, you can give someone a script, but the best way to learn is with live role plays. Yeah. So right, a month or two ago in, in Zoom, you probably use Zoom as well, you can have these little breakout rooms where like there are 12 people on the call, we can have mini breakout rooms and we can practice sales, you know, put a timer on and then we can come back in. That was one thing we Now it's a weekly sales clinic and role play live. That's just one example. Let's try something. If it flopped, oh, well, lesson learned. But if it goes well, it's like a new addition to your program. If you want something practical, like what are three things you could try this month, either in attracting new people or in your selling or in your delivery to get better results, try a couple of them, work, but that'll be fun. And just like treat it like a lab. You're like a scientist trying stuff, experimenting with things, mixing this with that. And the best stuff, you keep stuff that doesn't work, you discard and, and learn from it. Absolutely. Uh, something I just thought of while you were saying that as well in, in terms of trying things. Um, for me, I got to a certain level in my business in the studio I was working at. It became like this bubble of, very successful trainers who, in my mind, all were all very successful trainers. But the reality was I was on par with them. And when I decided to work with my, my next mentor at the time, I got dropped into a pool of people who were so much more successful than me that it made me, A, kind of shit my pants a bit, but B, B really realized, okay, I thought I was successful. But now I see where I can go. Putting yourself in a room or on a digital call or whatever space you can, where you are the small fish will make you lift your game. If you are surrounding yourself with people who are telling you how great you are all the time or who are on the same level as you, that's awesome. But in terms of your business development and your self-development, I'm sure you've had this experience, putting yourself in a place where you are by no means the most successful person will seriously make you lift your game. Have you, I'm, I'm sure you have, have you had that experience yourself? 1,000%, yeah. yeah. And one of my deepest, if you talk about values with Martini, like my, my deepest, my, my, my top value is, is growth. It's like that continuous improvement of never picking, of, of never stopping. Uh, of never getting to a level and stopping. I mentioned environment before, but if you want to earn a quarter of a million a year, half of whatever the number is, is irrelevant, hang around people where they'd be embarrassed to only earn that much. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you want to sign, you want to have 50 clients, hang around people who would be embarrassed to only help 50 people at a time. The quickest way to up level, what I call normalize, like become what is the new normal as your identity shifts. So, yeah, I'm in like two masterminds that I pay to be in myself for that reason. I'm easily the, the dumbest, brogest <laughs> person in the room having the least amount of hours. I look up to these titans and they're doing amazing things. I try to emulate them and listen to them and, and implement what they say. Yeah. And I think something else I, I just want to add to that is, for anyone listening to this who maybe hasn't invested in themselves or maybe 
you feel silly asking a particular question because you feel like at the point you're at, you should know that. Please, please get over that and just ask. That was a massive thing for me. I think probably in the first three, four years of my career, I had my business coach, but there were so many people that I could have reached out to who I respected, who were specialists in certain areas, and I never did because I felt embarrassed because I was worried about sounding stupid. And now I literally just ask. (laughs) I'm probably that annoying person that has too many questions, but I I love, love, love learning. And actually I heard, um, again, Dr. Demartini speaking about this the other day. Somebody was interviewing him and they were talking about money and they were talking about what if it's never enough? So you hit a certain goal and then that no longer is enough and then you need more. And then that no longer is enough and then you need more. And he basically answered by saying, that's human nature. When we get affection from our partner, you don't suddenly get enough and now you're done. You always want more. The nature of us as humans is we always want to be growing and learning and moving forward. So it's not that you hit a certain point financially and you set a bigger goal and that means you're greedy. It just means that you're human and you naturally crave more whether it's okay now I've hit this financial goal and now I want more I want to set up a charity or I want to go traveling whatever it is that feeling of wanting more doesn't make you greedy or materialistic it makes you human it's I would encourage you to go with that because it means that you are continuing to grow mentally spiritually in your business as a person in your relationships you should always be aiming for more do you kind of have that sense? Well, I mean, you just you sort of just said that you do have that sense of always aiming higher in all areas of your life. Totally, and I, I believe life works in you know discomfort and growth and struggle, and then we normalize, and that's the new norm. Whether it's an income level or a relationship level or a conscious or whatever level we're talking about. And then it's like walking upstairs. There's a period of struggle and then there's a period of growth again and, 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 and normalization. So yeah. I think that cycle is normal. Elliot Holtz talks a lot about this where you have the, the, the summer of, of the year where things are burning, they're red hot. But if summer scorched the earth all year round, then things would die and would not rejuvenate. So it's, it's like a training cycle, right? Imagine, you know, smashing really, you know, overloading yourself every session three, four times a week and never taking a break, we all know it makes sense in our bodies to rest and sleep and deload, whatever you want to call it. And it's the same in business and growth and in all areas of life. Absolutely. Um, now, I'm aware that we're, we're getting close to wrapping up, so I would love to ask you. I like to ask everyone this question at the end of the interview. What is something about you that all your people on social media or most people would not know about you? Mm. Great question. Uh, I've failed a lot. Mm. I'm, I, I, I often get asked that I'm very young, but I'm 32. Sort of I've had partnerships that have failed. I've had marriages, a marriage, one that has failed, touch wood. Um, and I think... Like, if I, I think failure is a currency. 
Yeah. Meaning like the more we can uh, learn from that, if we're learning, of course, and not making the same things. But I think, yeah, to answer the question, I, I probably need to share that more that like I failed a lot. It's okay to fail. It's going to happen and almost collect them and learn from them and move on and, and grow from that. So that's probably one thing that most wouldn't know about me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Now, I'm sure so many people watching this will want to go and check out all your stuff and find you after the interview. Where is the best people to head um, for those, those that want to check out what you do and how they can get involved? Sure. Everything is pretty com, or just find me on Facebook and add me as a friend. You know, 99% of my, my friends are all fit pros, so let's go hang out there. And I'm happy to help if you have any questions, if it's now or, you know, later into the future, just, just reach out and ask me more than happy. Your website or Facebook are probably the, the two big ones. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Brilliant. Well, um, we might wrap up there, but thank you so, so much for giving us your very valuable time. Much appreciated, guys. If you're watching this on the replay, please drop a hashtag team replay in the comments. Let us know if you've got any questions for either myself or Pete. Uh, we'll do our very best to circle back and ask, answer questions after the fact. But uh, thank you for spending time with us today, those people that have been watching live, and we will see you all again really soon.